0: and it is uh, back to the usual although it's a bit unusual today nice monday to back. back in the Jack and Jenny Wilborn media room with the session with Sarah coming up and Jonathan Smith's monday press conference however what's different is the fact that the game is friday night 7:30 Alaska Airlines Field Husky Stadium in Seattle with ESPN2 and Roy Philpot and Andre Ware calling the action. We will uh, be making efforts all week long to reach out to the likes of Cam Cleland, uh, Damon Heward, perhaps Tony Castricone, Elise Woodward, Dan Rayley. We had to- uh, Trevor Mueller on last mm-hmm. week just to dig in, dive into this long rivalry that dates to 1897 with the Washington Huskies. So we've got a lot to to get to this week. The difference being today, while Monday, and while we're in the Jack and Ginny Wilborn media room, John, the football team is practicing, and Jonathan won't be here until 12.30. Yes. Monday is normally a day off for the players, but because of the Friday game, everything, the routines all moved up, so they're practicing. As you saw, we saw as we arrived, they're at Pro Throw Field practicing. I wonder if they had they, they worked out or did what they
1: do on Sundays on Saturday, had yesterday off, and today is their Tuesday.
2: Yeah,
0: in a very real sense. That's the case. So Jonathan will join us today. Tomorrow we'll hear from both coordinators. Now we'll be back in studio tomorrow, so we'll hear from Jonathan today to get a much-anticipated update from the head coach of the 24th-ranked team of the country. <laughs> and we, we, a week ago on Monday – and because just because the beavers are now ranked does not now mean that i of course on this monday start talking what well, how important it all is and what glorious recognition it is when i've downplayed a number of things during the course of life including last week talking about nick dashall saying i've he's never seen a fan base so transfixed on how come we're not ranked how come we're not ranked we got to be ranked we should be ranked And now the Beavers are ranked, but I was thinking a week ago that it didn't matter a whole lot to me. I mean I'd like but now that it's happened, you kinda that's cool. Congratulations. It's It's nice. It is nice.
1: But it's not it's not a make or break thing. Right. For me, the only thing that matters is placement in the standings. Rose Bowl first, better best bowl you can get second. That's it. I don't even care about the final four. Now, if you're good enough to go undefeated and be in that conversation, great. That, that will change. But when you're so far from that, yeah, uh, then the, the, the traditional thing is Rose Bowl and then bowl games. Right.
0: I agree. Bowl slot. Yeah. And so we will visit with. Jo- right after Jonathan, a session with Sarah, and Jonathan Sessions himself mm-hmm. usually only lasts 15 to 20. Yeah. So we'll have some time in the back end to sort out a little bit with Sarah Elcano and a session with Sarah after a week's hiatus. The question that we still don't seem to have a definitive answer for with respect to the Jake Curtis footnote at the end of his Bowl arama Rama extravaganza. Who's going where? You know the the, the nine to up to ten possible uh, alliances for Pac-12 schools with bowl games, depending. Right. But note that he just wrote very calmly I, as he sat at the keyboard typing it. I don't think he understood. Do you understood the? Do you understand, John, the magnitude, Jake? I should yeah, say yeah. Ja- of what you're about to type. No. <laughs> The Rose Bowl, the Holiday Bowl, and the Alamo Bowl can choose. I don't think he knew what he was doing. Well, I think he may be right, though, because I've I've asked Sarah to look into it, and she says that it's her understanding, and maybe by today there's greater clarity. But she said she and asking around in her world, and that may be the man himself, and maybe we can ask Scott if he—Scott sometimes comes in here. Yeah. During Jonathan's press availability, Scott Barnes, I want to ask him what the is there a definitive word on that? Because it the it's not out of the realm. Some things didn't fall quite right to make the path. <laughs> uh, by any, I mean the Beavs are going to need considerable help to be one of the top two teams and get to Vegas with a chance to win the title game and go. But as we sit here on this Monday, Halloween Day, October 31st, 2022. They are still mathematically alive. This may be the last week on a Monday that we're talking about it, but it won't be if the Beavers beat Washington. It will still be alive. A lot of things need to fall in place for the Beavers to get to the two spot and play for the title, but if they do play for the title and win the game, I want to know that it's a slam dunk that they're going to Pasadena for the Rose Bowl, and I'm being told by Sarah, another eh, well, not so fast, my friend. It may not be. In spite of what you read on Wikipedia. Now, Wikipedia is often right, I don't but even care
1: if it's Wikipedia. I know. There's but, no way you win the pac well, championship and not go to the WrestleMania. I,
0: I hear what you're saying, John, but it sounds like there might be a way. I'll be shocked. I'd be I'd love to to shocked ask Scott, and utterly disappointed if I would if love to ask true. Scott, but I would bet,
1: I would bet a lot of money that the answer would be, no, no. Of when course. and go automatic that it's automatically slotted. Of course it is. Well, now the the caveat is going to be the the year that the Rose Bowl part of the right, championship. There's right. going to be something for that. There's going to be something for that. I think what <clears throat> what Curtis was overlooking. He was lumping them in. This happens. In fact, this happens with you and me, where you know something to be, to be true. Of course, mm-hmm. the grass is green. You know it to be true, but someone comes along and questions you. Now. It, it makes you go well. Okay, I guess I guess we need I'll to
0: look into it,
1: see the actual yeah. facts. But there's no way that 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 is. And so by reading Curtis, who lumped it in, that lumped was, it in with the other. Goals. I think I think that was very irresponsible for him to do that. Yeah. If it turns out that, of course, you go to the Rose Bowl if you win the Pac-12 turn, uh, championship. <laughs> and then you—if if that is the case, then we should look back on him and say that was absolutely irresponsible and lazy writing to lump the Rose Bowl in with the other bowls and say that could happen. I think what he meant, I don't know, but I think what he meant was it can happen in the Rose Bowl If a team goes to the CFP and the
0: Rose Bowl gets to choose. And suddenly things are are thrown open. That the Pac-12 title game winner is selected to go to the college football playoff. Leaving the Rose Bowl with options. Yes. Now. Yes. Then I think that's the only way. Okay. That sounds right and sounds reasonable and good. I just wish that if. If when Jake, who otherwise, when you talk about lazy, right, that's one of the better stories, and he's an outstanding journalist and writer, sure. Jake Curtis. Speaking of which, we'll have another longtime San Francisco Chronicle writer, John Shea, joining us in a few minutes to talk about something a little bit out of the Beaver Husky Wheelhouse Week, but not out of what's happening on the world stage with HBO releasing a week from tomorrow a documentary on probably the greatest to ever play the game of baseball, one 91-year-old Willie Mays. John Shea, who wrote an authoritative biography, an authorized biography of Willie, is one of the interviewees on this documentary put together by Colin Hanks, Tom's son. uh, Nelson George is the director and many voices weigh in. They got to Vin Scully about this, so Vinny's on it. One of his last contributions to... The history of baseball was his participation in this documentary on number 24, The Say Hey Kid, Willie Mays. John Shea joins us at 1130, and I look forward to a a conversation with John. Outstanding writer, born in a pretty good year of 1958, but grew up taking the Ballpark Express from Mill Valley into Candlestick in, in the Bay Area and saw Willie. He, I mean, I, I know about Willie in that same time frame because mm-hmm. I was seven years old when I first saw him. I thought, who is that? Yeah. I said to my dad, who's that guy number 24? I actually kind of knew based on a previous experience with him. But I remember getting to Dodger Stadium and the first person that caught my eye ever on a baseball field, yeah, you know, in a ball game live in person was Willie Mays. Well, I look forward to that. So John will join us at 1130, and the documentary comes out next week. All in the meantime, just to get, to close the yeah. thought on yeah. Jake Curtis before we take a quick break here, I want to make sure we have plenty of time with uh, John Shea coming up in a few minutes. That was an outstanding article he wrote, projecting the Bulls and and giving detail on the Bull games, et cetera. And then just that note at the end did not, to me, undermine the high quality of the nature of that article. But if it's true that the qualifier that you're referring to, he should have said, in the event that the CFP selects. A team, the Pac-12 title game winner, then the Rose Bowl is no no longer obligated to take the 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 loser of that game or the next in line. They have the latitude with a a one-game caveat that teams in the standings aren't separated by more than one game. They could create a matchup that they would prefer at the granddaddy. But he doesn't get into that kind of language. Maybe he ran out of time or energy or room or didn't want to spell it out or maybe— maybe, and Sarah, this is where we'll talk to her about it and others, we hope, maybe it is simply a fact that the Rose Bowl is not bound, obligated to take the Pac-12 title game winner. I'd be shocked. Me too. Like, freakishly shocked. I agree. Like but, I can't believe I just lost $10 million.
2: <laughs>
0: but that's what I'm hearing. That's all I'm saying, John. In In bouncing that by Sarah, who ran it, to higher levels than our pay grade, which was most everyone around. But anyway, running he, it up, you know, to higher levels. Yeah. She's coming back to me over the weekend with, yeah, I think Curtis may be right about that. So I'm I, there, I, after sh- having looked into yeah, it. Yeah, after having looked into it. That's what I'm
1: telling. See, I you. I thought you were talking about her initial reaction. No. And then no. I was going to say, well, you know, you don't ever want to give answers to the press or others yeah. that you know don't know and have seen it with your own eyes. No, she's saying. And you the, the, want to quadru- quadru- quadruple checking
0: yes. to say, of course, Mike, yes, and I found that no. out. Da, da, da. Yeah, she's so you're saying after, it. Digging, after, digging, after into it. digging into it. After digging into it, some. I'm still not sure we have an ultimate authoritative answer, but her initial probings and questionings of people above her pay grade in yeah. the system yeah. are coming back with, eh, Curtis may be right, that they have that latitude. It's just almost this unspoken, tacit understanding that they will take the title game winner. But it's possible that they're not obligated to. If
1: that's true, if you can, if the yeah. Beavers have to wait for all these years, <laughs> get to there, win, and get passed over in this modern era with with winning yeah. a, a league championship. And who wants to be part of the
2: pack? And doesn't
1: order. get put in there? <laughs> we do. I quit on all sports. Uh, okay, I, I, I understand. I'm just going to live a life of watching cartoons. Go away. Cartoons
0: and old films.
1: Cartoons, old films, okay. everything but
0: sports. I quit if on If that all happens.
1: If that happens. Yeah. And and for that to be not a, a universally known fact. Right. Okay. So you can play along. Everyone, fans, administrators, athletes, yeah. coaches,
0: you think you're going for Pac-12 something. Pac-12 title game winner goes to the Rose Bowl unless the Rose Bowl is hosting the national championship game or playoff. Yeah, game yeah, yeah. yeah. If
1: it's okay. not that way, if it's an open yeah. year like this year, yeah. you go you play, you go to Vegas, you win, streamers come down, roses come out, roses come out, all of that yeah. and then the Pac-12 says, we invite by the, way mm-hmm. of clause X94, right. we are going extend to extend the
0: formal invitation to and then yeah. whoever
1: is in third place because let's say first let's say uh, uh yeah, no, second okay. place, second place. The loser of the game, you beat you beat uh, I don't know, USC in the in in Vegas. Yeah. To USC ah, and then I'm, I'm done. I'm done. There, okay. That would be yeah, no. I know one of the most it, egregious it sports robberies of all
0: time. It would be blasphemous, certainly. But again, the only reason I bring it up is in running it by people who know more. I'm getting a sense of eh. It's not maybe not a hundred percent automatic slam dunk on the fan. Let's take a break, John. Mm. We need to. We've got John Shea coming up. Jonathan Smith, Sarah. Uh, Already, we have uh, lines of inquiry out to Cam Cleland and Elise Woodward, and we'll get to others as we go this week. It's Husky Week, and the Beavers are ranked, and they're not. Yeah. How about that? The Beavers are number 24 in the country going in to Seattle. They got 12 votes akin to number 32 in the country. If you'd like to join us but they're here. They're four and a half point favorites. No, I know. If, if, If uh, you'd like to join us early, 497-5356 on the Downward Dog phone line, the University Honda text line. Thanks for joining us today on 1240
3: Joe Radio. Hey, Beaver fans. This is Oregon State DV, Arthur and Julian, and you are listening to The Joe Beaver Show on 1240
2: Joe Radio.
1: That's right, and with all the depth in the uh, secondary for Oregon State, they can take time to bring him back slowly as we continue. We have our guest, John Shea, coming up in about seven minutes. So let's quickly get to it. I understand Dave from Tumwater. I think Mike stepped out uh, for uh, a break here to use the facilities maybe, and Dave, let's do it. Let's see what we can get here in the next five or six minutes.
4: Okay. Hi, John. Uh,
1: I think I have
4: – I. I Uh, uh, the information that kind of resolves the whole Rose Bowl question. If you actually go to the Tournament of Rose's website, what they say is that when a team from one of their eligible conferences goes to the football uh, championship series, and I'm directly quoting from their website, the tournament committee takes the next highest, D.F.P. ranked team from that conference. So, if Oregon State were to go to the conference title game, chances are they would be no less. They, the chances are, they would be no higher than the second ranked team in the conference, and uh, they they uh, probably would be the second if they get that. I mean, to get there, imagine this, John. Yeah. They have to win Friday. They have to win all the other games in the meantime. I mean, and they have to beat Oregon. Um. Well, maybe. uh, Yes. They they just get to the. uh, That's correct. They they have to beat Oregon to get to the conference game. So so it's it's technically conceivable that Oregon State could even get that far. That is to say, win every game between now and then, including a victory over Oregon. Lose that title game against whomever it might be, and again going back to the if chart I was regaling you guys with last week, would have to be SC. So they would have to lose that game. And then after December, whatever that date, the 12th or whatever is in December, they would have to not be the second-ranked team in the conference. Now, it's theoretically conceivable that that could happen. In other words, let me just paint a hypothetical scenario. They win the Civil War, but by a small margin which would put them in the CFP higher than Oregon. They would have to be at that point. But then they lose the conference title game dramatically. I mean, by a big amount, in which case the third-ranked team in the conference going into the title game weekend leapfrogs over the second-ranked team, this being Oregon State, and therefore they they don't get to the – now, that could happen to Oregon State Given a, a, a hypothesis yeah. I've been spinning on your airwaves for
1: ten years, it would <laughs> not happen to FC in that right. scenario. No, That's no, and, and here's the thing, though. And, here's and the we're going to need to break. And we got a but
0: go ahead, Dave. Thanks
1: for the call. Go yeah, ahead, John. thanks, Dave. I, I think you brought it up. I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think my my part of the conversation isn't about this year's beavers. It's about any year. any year. No, and, that's and right. So, that's because right. we got a text from Paul in Albany that mm-hmm. said, talk about putting the cart before the horse. No,
0: of course. It's not about this year. Paul, it's about any year. Of course. And that's the principle that we're getting at here. Yeah, cart before the horse, of course. Yes. And in fact, the Beavers could run the table and still not end up in Vegas. It's a high, highly unlikely that they right. would. No, we're I'm, talking not, I'm just strictly saying about, about anybody. Is it true right. that the, that's, Paul, do you understand in Albany? That's the question. Yeah. And if it ends up impacting us, then that's the Even most worse. miserable thing in the world. Right, But it would be miserable for anybody.
1: And we don't want that for right, our conference. Right, for anybody. And no, it's about... The principle yeah. of the matter, not, not We want to get an answer to Beaver that team. question.
0: This year's Beaver team has the longest, longest of shots to even yeah. get to Vegas. I'm
1: thinking this year, just get the best bowl but you yeah, can. Yeah, you no, know, it'll it, be better it, than next, it, last and year. And they
0: have a great opportunity yes. to do that. But just running into this is what led us to. What, what? Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Exactly. Whether it's Oregon State, Washington State, Arizona, you know, whomever. Would they be relegated to a non-Rose Bowl thing in a, if they win the fact well title game? Because the Rose Bowl could take the next team down. And I just That's thought it was want to, find to point out. that out before moving right. on. That's a which great we have point. To. Let's break John Shea, San Francisco Chronicle, Bay Area writer, biographer of Willie Mays, and one of the uh, interviewees on the HBO documentary about to be released on the Say Hey Kid. John joins us next, twelve forty, Joe Radio. <laughs> Coming to you from the Jack and Ginny Wilborn Media Room on the campus of Oregon State University in Corvallis, Mike Parker with John Warren. It's Husky Week. We will hear from Jonathan Smith coming up in about an hour. Sessions with Sarah, Sarah Elcano, talking to us about a number of things. One, the the, the Jake Curtis column that alarmed us all. Mm -hmm. Jake is an outstanding writer, and it's a pleasure to welcome Uh, Jake, a former colleague, I don't think Jake's still working for the Chronicle. I'm not sure, but I know he did many years of outstanding work at the San Francisco Chronicle. Jake Curtis recently releasing a story about bowl games in the Pac-12, etc. But it is an honor to welcome our next guest, our first guest today and for the week, with one week from tomorrow, a release on HBO of a documentary On HBO entitled Say Hey, Willie Mays, which is a bit of a play on the authorized biography of Willie, co-written with Willie, along with our next guest, John Shea. The book is entitled 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid, John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle, and co-author of that book, joins us here on The Joe Beaver Show. John, good morning. Thank you for your time. How are you today?
5: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. How are you guys doing?
0: We're, we're doing well, and appreciate you taking time for us. There's a lot of ways that we could kind of get into it. I guess I'm wondering, first of all, if you've seen the film, which I assume there was a premiere and you have, have you seen the documentary, and <laughs> what did you think of it?
5: Well, there are two premieres. There was one in New York the other day, and there's going to be one in San Francisco Sunday night. I didn't go to New York. I will be at the one in the city. But, yes, I did see it. (laughs) And I loved it, of course. What am I going to say? No, I didn't. I mean, it's Willie Mays. You know, Everything about Willie Mays is pretty awesome. And they did a great job. It's It's a beautiful film, a beautiful documentary, and it captures him like really no other documentary did. It, uh, interviews a lot of people, um, you know, from teammates to, um, you know, Dr. Uh, Harry Edwards, uh, who, who was so significant in the civil rights movement in the sixties and followed Willie's career to, to Bob Costas and Vince Scully and Mary Bonds. Um, you know who had a relationship with Willie as a five-year-old because his bad played for the Giants. Bobby Box, who was a great 5 old player in his day, and and then Barry left Pittsburgh to come to San Francisco, so there's there's a lot of tie-ins there. But really, it, it's um, it's it's an important film, I would say, only because the generations coming up could really benefit from his messages and and his life, which was. Pretty exemplary in terms of where he came from to where you know where he got and where he is today.
0: An important film in that sense, John, but it it it, it certainly has to be, I would think, complementary to your book because I've I've not had the pleasure of reading the book, but have read about the structure of the book and the 24 chapters in the book and that was it you that first proposed to Willie himself the idea of a book and when approached he said something that well if we're going to do this I want this book to be in classrooms I want this to be a book with inspiring stories for all generations etc how did that book uh, take shape that you and Willie collaborated on
5: yeah, it's, exactly, it's like you were there in the conversation. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. It was back in probably around 2005, you know, 15 years before the book actually came out, when we got to talking about it. And as the National Baseball writer of the San Francisco Chronicle, I got to know him because he would always be in the clubhouse. And he was always in the clubhouse all the way up to through his late 80s until the pandemic, which kept him away but he has a lifetime contract with the team signed way back in 1993 when the ownership came in and Dusty Baker took over and they signed Barry Bonds, et cetera. And that's when they gave Willie a lifetime contract and built the statue for him and uh, made uh, the new ballpark uh, 24 Willie Mays Plaza. So it's, it's fingerprints are all over the ballpark, all over San Francisco, all over baseball. And I figured, boy, what an opportunity. I had done books with Ricky Henderson. And at the time, I think I had uh, three books written. So uh, I built up this relationship of trust and that is kind of hard because he has an inner circle and he played when there were no agents He played before free agency. He played when players didn't make much and it was easy for players at the time to trust friends who might've invested unwisely and suddenly you have nothing. And, um, so he's careful with a lot of what he says, what he does, you know, who, who he hangs with. So it was kind of an honor and privilege to be part of this relationship with the great maze. And, and then he agreed and you're right. He said, it, Hey, the first thing he said, when I asked him, would you like to do a book? I would like to see this in classroom. So one thing led to another and it became life lessons, not just life stories for him to say, Hey, kid.
0: John Shea joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show, authorized uh, biography with Willie entitled 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid in anticipation of the documentary being released next week on Willie on the HBO platform. John, your own story about how (laughs) I I looked into it a little bit, and I love it. You were born in the same year I was in 1958. I discovered the first baseball game I ever watched on television, I was growing up in Southern California, happened to be May 4th, 1966. I'd never seen a baseball game on TV. There were very few Mm And on May 4th of 66, it's just a, a newbie to baseball. I had just discovered it about a month before. I'm watching a game at Candlestick. And Willie hits his 512th to break Mel Lott's National League record for homers. And the game stops for about almost five to ten minutes while he gets all these ovations and plaudits. And I'm a seven-year-old kid going, who's this guy? I mean, come on, we got a game to play here. What's (laughs) going on? That was my first encounter with Mays. And then I saw him on June 17th at Dodger Stadium and was wowed just by looking at him and watching him move and play. (laughs) When did you first discover Number 24, to say, hey, kid, how old were you and what do you remember about that? Yeah, about then,
5: late 60s, early 70s is when I was a youth in the Bay Area and would be out at Candlestick. But you mentioned 512. That, to this day, is a huge number for him because at the time, it was the National League record. Mm -hmm. And there was something to be said for the American League record, Babe Ruth, National League record, Willie Mays. You know, Hank Aaron hadn't passed him by then. So that was a huge deal then. League records were, were a big deal. And he put a lot of pressure on himself, and it took him a while to get to 512. So you kind of lucked out by showing up that day as <laughs> a 7-year-old. And you're right, there's a lot of film and pictures of him stepping out and lifting his calf and kind of exhaling after after he had done that. And he raced to 600 and then 660. So, that you know, Mays was... You're right, Mays was not only in my estimation the best overall player with the five tools who ever lived but the most entertaining there's a clip in the documentary um say hey willie mays november 8th on hbo yeah that that he's like parading from first to second base and jumping up and down and waving his hat it looks like i'm watching the 2022 world series you know it, it's like he he, uh, he didn't have filters. He I mean, obviously, there was a whole lot of respect. You didn't charge the mound. Well, he never did. He never got ejected. He never started fights. He never smoked. He never drank. He never did any of that thing. But, um, you know, uh, Koufax and, and Drysdale, well, not Koufax, but Drysdale and Gibson, they would throw at him a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
5: a lot of film of him ducking pitches back before they even wore helmets. And what would he do? He'd just jump up. And if he got hit, he took his base. If not, he would, you know, try to hit the next ball line drive up the middle, but it, it uh, just watching him, he would just, it's just uh, extraordinary how he had the basket catch, right? He didn't, he didn't put his glove above his shoulder like you and I are taught in Little League. He he caught it at his waist and Mm -hmm. and his cap flew off when he chased down a fly ball in the gap or went first to third. And, and with these powerful legs, it was almost like he was dancing around the field, around the diamond, not not running like most people do. And it was, it was, you know, the Giants led baseball in road attendance in the 60s, and they only won one pennant. So, yeah, they were a deep team and a great team, good lineup and everything. They had a lot of Hall of Famers, but it was Mays who everybody came to see just because he put on a show. And he played every day. There's a great spot, my favorite Mays spot. 150 straight, 150 games in 13 straight seasons mm-hmm. he played. Yeah. And nobody's ever done that. Not even Ripken in Major League history. 13 straight years, 150-plus games. And most of that streak during the 154-game season. So he was out there every day, and they played 10 or 20 doubleheaders a year back in the 50s and early 60s. So it, uh, it kind of wore him out, but men just kept putting him in the lineup. Not like today, right?
0: John Shea, San Francisco Chronicle, joining us uh, uh, a friend of an authority on Willie Mays with a documentary r- to be released next Tuesday on HBO. You told a story. Th- certainly, uh, August 22nd, 1965, on a date is infamous. It's also, in some respects, maybe according to some, Willie Mays's finest hour. But before we get to that, and I'm talking, of course, about uh, Juan Marichal and John Roseboro and Willie's peacemaking, <clears throat> peacemaking. Ability that that took the world, really. I mean, they saw that, and Willie won a whole world of admirers with how he handled himself in that horrible situation. But you told something else earlier in that year, an Elio Chacon, you have it in your book. Maybe it's in the documentary, too. But can you tell us a story about—you said Willie never started a fight— but there's an Elio Chacon incident where he gets picked off by Roger Craig or try, something goes on at second base. Do you, do you have chapter and verse on that for us, please?
5: Yeah, well, Willie <laughs> really wasn't in many fights. He usually was the guy to break up fights. And this goes back to Brooklyn and New York when these teams used to fight yeah. you know, every day. I mean, at the Polo Grounds, both of them, both teams after every game, walked out to dead center field. And their clubhouses were separated only by a door. So there was some extra activity in a lot of those years, a lot of those games. But, yeah, the Giants and Mets played in the uh, 60s. And Chapone was this middle infielder who, after Mace slid into second base, kind of bopped him on the head. And Mace got up and threw him around. And and Cepeda came out. and, And Roger Craig was... Was kind of dusting back uh, a lot of hitters that day, so there's some bad blood anyway. And yeah, I don't think that was a fight that really started, but it was definitely not a fight that he uh, shied away from either.
0: Yeah, it, the August. So some, um,
5: it, it, every, you, you should, people should Google this, by the way. It's easy to find. you know, Chippen and Craig and Dave. Yeah, uh, you know, fight Giants Mets. No, because uh, that that's,
0: it, that's less written about, obviously, than than the Marichal, uh Roseboro incident in 65 1965 I think the Chacon thing was in 62 if I'm not mistaken but in 65 John how much is that a chapter in the book or how much did you dive into that with Willie and in other articles I've read the Dodgers themselves Maury Wills Walt Alston and others gave Mays all the credit in the world for intervening as a peacemaker in that horrible incident how much did you guys dive into that together
5: Oh yeah, a huge chapter on the Giants and the Dodgers and the heated rivalry, and you know, emph- emphasizing that uh, that day in which um, Koufax and Marischal were dueling at Candlestick Park, and uh, Koufax would never throw at a guy, and other pitchers at the time would. It was just in, not in Sandy's nature to do so. So. Uh, Roseboro called for an inside pitch, and Sandy didn't deliver. And this was when, when Marichal was at the plate, and Marichal, you know, dusted you know a couple of Dodgers back, and it, it wasn't appreciated. So they wanted Koufax to retaliate. He didn't. So Roseboro, the catcher, took things into his own hands, and one of his throwbacks back to the mound threw it so close to Marichal that it clipped his ear. <laughs> And Marshall turned around, got his back, and whacked Roseboro over the head with it. And Roseboro had 14 stitches, and there was a long delay, and uh, both sides were agitated, going at each other. And and Roseboro wanted a piece of Marshall. And who was it that carried him off to the Dodgers club uh, dugout? It was, it was Willie Mays. And imagine Willie Mays, and there's some good pictures of this, amid a sea of blue, Mm -hmm. holding Roseboro's jersey, the front of it, and kind of dragging him to the dugout while other Dodgers, supportive of what Willie was doing, surrounded him. So, I mean, that's the ultimate breakup of a fight was when Mays pulled Roseboro off to prevent a riot on Mm -hmm. the field, a riot in the stands. I mean, it was heated, and Willie sat with with, uh, Roseboro in the dugout and, uh, you know, tried to calm him down and it wasn't easy because, you know, Roseboro was so hot, but like, like a lot of these stories and lessons we go through later in life, Roseboro and, uh, Marshall became friends mm-hmm. and Roseboro actually asked Juan to be, you know, in his wedding and, mm-hmm. or at his wedding. And, um, and when Roseboro died, Marshall went and spoke at his funeral. So, so years later, even though it cost Marshall the Hall of Fame uh, bid, it was later rather than first ballot uh, because of that. Um, I mean, he was every bit as good as anyone else in the 60s. He had the most wins in the 60s, and he was denied Cy Youngs just because Tofax had a better year that year. Gibson had a better year that year. league was full of great starting pitchers. So anyway, there, there's a good story to – Good end story to to a bad scene at yeah. Park.
0: Yeah, that. Thank you for sharing that, John Shea, San Francisco Chronicle, joining us on the Joe Beaver Show with the Willie Mays documentary to be released next Tuesday on HBO. Your book, and I assume the documentary will dive into this too. You deal with. <laughs> The Jackie Robinson issue, so to speak, with Jackie at times being critical of Willie for not, quote, doing more or saying more. When it came to the racism and, and, and some of the issues involved that Jackie, of course, took head on as the first in 1947 and throughout his career, <laughs> Willie loved and admired and respected Jackie but Willie also felt like, and maybe you could help us a little bit with this, is this in the documentary, it's certainly in your book, that he, he probably did more and that Jackie may never have known about. Is that a fact?
5: Yeah, it is. Uh, in the early 60s, Jackie wrote a book, and Jackie's career ended by the late 50s. Their careers interlaced only a few years. Willie was gone for a couple of years in the military, And um, Jackie was like 28 when he broke into the big leagues. And, you know, at the time, you know, a decade older than than Willie Mays, whose dad said once Jackie was signed, said, hey, Willie, you got a chance now. And Mm -hmm. Willie says, what do you mean I got a chance? And you got a chance to play Major League Baseball because of Jackie Robinson. So from there, as a 17-year-old, a sophomore in high school playing for the legendary – Birmingham Black Bands, uh, Willie Mays thought, hey, I could play Major League Baseball because of Jackie Robinson. So he adored Jackie and looked up to him. But he wasn't like Jackie. Jackie went to UCLA, he married Rachel, he was in the military, played in the Negro Leagues. He had worldly experience and lettered at four sports in college, and baseball was his worst sport, by the way. Right. and. And so he kind of was ahead of the game by the time he got to the big leagues. Willie, conversely, was a 20-year-old rookie in the polo grounds a year after graduating from high school, Um, you know, when he broke in. So they didn't have the same background at all. I mean, Willie growing up in the Jim Crow South, height of the Depression, you know, mother's firstborn, and she went on to have many other kids with with another uh, man, and, you know, Willie... didn't have a whole lot, but not that he not that he cared or complained because he had family and friends and food and shelter and everything. But Jackie preached, he marched, he, he uh, stood up for the race at every level. And Willie really wasn't like that, you know, because his dad kind of said, hey, Willie, you know, do your own thing, but don't say much. Put your head down, run the bases, and respect the game, respect the opponent. So it was hard for Willie to, to be like Jackie that, because that's just not him. But at the same time, he did so much for the cause. And I talked to Reggie Jackson and Frank Robinson and even Hank Aaron, who was three years younger, uh, Maury Wills, Willie McCovey, all these people to a man said that they did so, he, he did so much for all of us. And not not publicly, but mm-hmm. behind the scenes uh, mm-hmm. at his house, in the clubhouse, you know, out to dinner. And it kind of led, led us to do things to follow the game in, in, in his life. So I mean, I interviewed for the book, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, among the couple of presidents I, I spoke with and Clinton said, Willie Mays made it absurd to be a racist with kind of a powerful quote with, with the way he played and conducted himself and played with joy and played with style and, uh, you know, the, the indelible images that he, uh, left, uh, not just the words, but but the actions and lasting images kind of made people um, change their way at the time and did a lot to race relations and but anyway yeah it's uh, the, the book covers a lot uh, the, the, the clip uh, covers the the film I'm sorry co- covers a lot of this and uh, it's an important part of it but uh, yeah that's such a a big part of Willie Mays' life that I never knew about that nobody really knew about because it was always. Said to me, or I read, yeah, Willie didn't do enough. Willie did it. So for the book, I said, okay, let's see. I to I want to find out for sure. You know, did did Willie not do enough? And Willie's not going to say, I did this, I did that. Mm-hmm. But after interviewing a lot of people, I brought it to to him, and he agreed. Yeah, this is what I did for him. This is what I did. And the whole thing was paying it back. Willie, as a young man, Piper Davis, his Birmingham manager, his his dad, Leo DeRocher with the Giants, uh, Monty Irvin, his first uh, roommate, who was a Negro league sensation and Hall of Fame or not, they all looked out for him. So at a later age in his career, by the time he got to San Francisco, he was looking out for everybody else, the young players, the Alouz and, and, and Marischal and McCovey and Cepeda and, and all these players, including so many minorities They were the most diverse clubhouse in the majors at the time. So so it's kind of cool because Willie was inspired at a young age. and has spent his whole life inspiring others
0: that's beautifully said and just to 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 hear you put it that way the life lessons part of it too one of the chapters in your book is entitled play catch with your dad <laughs> and willie <laughs> seems to have an indebtedness to his father to the family and friends around him you've already mentioned john that he didn't drink, he didn't smoke. He 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 didn't get in trouble. He said, "My dad told me how to help keep me from doing the wrong things." So this sense of family and indebtedness to family seems to be really big for Willie that you drew out of him and in your book, and I hope the documentary does too.
5: Yeah, it's funny in the documentary he's talking about how everyone took care of him, even even in Harlem. You know, not just playing with the kids and going to you know stickball and going for cake and ice cream afterwards. There's some iconic pictures and video of that shown in the in the documentary. But even at the Red Rooster, which was like a big jazz club and nightclub and where all, all the local folks went, even they looked out for him. they they, they chased him home at nine o'clock, making sure he wasn't. <laughs> Hanging with gamblers, or hanging with the wrong crowd, or out too late, and he would order his cherry co- or his, his coke with a cherry in it, and and uh, and call it a night because he was kind of forced out of there because people were looking out, I'm going to drive you home, Willie. So yeah. it's a funny clip in the movie. He says, "Yeah, I've never been in trouble." He said, "Probably the last time I was in, tro- I was in trouble, I was about three years old." <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, That's that is good. Last couple of things, John. You, I want to ask you first about the. Does the documentary and do you and your book? Does he even deal with the question? You know that we all are constantly arguing about as baseball fans all our lives. Who's the greatest ever? Did The Athletic actually do a story in which quantifiably or The Athletic did a deal and said the greatest baseball career ever was Willie's with Babe Ruth at number two? How do you feel about that? Where do you come in and does the documentary broach that t- that subject?
5: Yeah, in fact, he's asked that. That's kind of from the trailer. Hey, Willie, are you the greatest baseball player who ever lived? And then they break off. Okay. And I guess you'll have to watch to see what his answer is. But his, I'll give you a little okay. hint. His answer is yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because he'll never say yes. You know, I mean, even the home runs. I mean, he never complained. Uh, I, I said, Willie, you hit 660, but you're playing a candlestick in the Polo Grounds. Who hits home runs there? Right. The wind would blow it down if you tried to hit a deep right or left in the Polo Grounds. It was 482, the dead center. <laughs> How do you hit 660 home runs? And weren't you robbed them more? He said, John weren't six sixty enough. And I said, <laughs> yeah, 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 I guess so. I mean, forever he was third, right behind yeah. Hank and the Babe, and now he's whatever seventh. Yeah, and uh, or sixth maybe. Uh, pool holes is up there. A rod. Um, so anyway, uh, it uh, you know he, he, he never he never really complained about any of that, but uh, it, it's. Uh, he, 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 I would say he is the greatest all-around ball player ever. And people would say, no, Babe Ruth is. And I would say two things to that. Um, obviously, the Babe didn't play the outfield like Willie, mm-hmm. didn't run like Willie, mm-hmm. and didn't um, you know run the bases or chase down fly balls like Willie. He didn't make these crazy throws like Willie. He had a good arm. Obviously, he was a pitcher. So I would say Willie had more. He was better at more tools, more of the five tools. Right. I mean, they both hit for power. They both hit for average. And and then then you might say, well, Dave pitched and Willie didn't. And to that, I would say, well, so you're saying Dave had a better arm. Two two Birmingham area newspapers when Willie was signed by the Giants out of high school in um, 1950. Suggested or speculated that Willie would be a major league pitcher, not a major league outfielder. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how yeah. good his arm was, but he didn't get that chance. So he never pitched. Hey, and the other one yeah. was, well, Dave hit more home runs than teams. You know, he dominated the game like right. nobody else dominated. And to that, I would say, well, he was playing only against white guys. I mean, by the time Willie showed up. There was integration, and so there were Latino players, there were black players, there were African-American players. Babe Ruth never faced Satchel Paige, who pitched in the same there. Mm-hmm. Babe
2: mm-hmm.
5: Ruth never heard a fly ball into a gap that was chased down by Oscar Charleston, who was the maze before May. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, to call Babe Ruth the, the best ever, I mean, we talk about painted players and painted airs. You would say baseball was painted all the way through 1946 because only white men could play in the game. So, you know, by the time Willie showed up, he faced all the best pitchers and all the best defenders. And, um, you know, it, it was a true, you know, it was a true game. It wasn't like it was then. Yes. So anyway, that, that's just me talking. I mean, everybody has
0: yeah, no, I, own I got opinion you. on the matter, John. I look. I hope we can talk again someday just about something that I found as romantic as anything, and I love the game, and that is you as a kid growing up in Mill Valley would ride the Golden Gate Transit bus and then hop on the Ballpark Express, <laughs> the Ballpark Express, to go to Candlestick Park, and we talk about that someday because that just sounds like a load of fun growing up in that area.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, 50 cents, and we actually snuck in because my friend, who's a little bigger than I, kind of blocked the driver, and I went in behind him And <laughs> I gave him a quarter. We, we, we cut it now.
0: John, we're out of time. Thank you so much for a generous amount of your time. Congratulations on the book and your part in the documentary that will be released next week by H. Really great to talk to you, sir. Thanks for the time, John. We appreciate it. We've got an, an hour so to much. go. My pleasure. Thank you, John. Jonathan Smith and Sarah, next hour, 1240 Joe Radio. Boy, that is accurate right there. That
1: last part right there is very accurate. Happy Halloween, everybody, and welcome as we continue here from the Jack and Jenny Wilborn Media Room with today's Joe Beaver show uh, all the way up till one o'clock. Things are a little different, as you well know. Uh, normally, Jonathan Smith would be talking right now, but everything has been bumped up a day, so... They're scheduling they were out practicing that's not usually the case on a monday and uh, coach smith will join us at 12:30 today and we assume that there will be time on the back end of that last half hour for a uh, sessions with sarah segment and we look forward to your phone calls or your your questions we've already got one on the uh, university honda text line 541-497-5356 and uh, we'll we'll ask that uh, of uh, Sarah, in fact, uh, question for comments Sarah. First off, I think that our player entrance before the game lacks buildup and excitement this year. Huh. It would be nice to see an intro video and song that really hypes up our players and fans like that of Enter Sandman at Virginia Tech or in the air tonight at Penn State. Lastly, will there be any spectators on top of the Wellness Center once it's completed? That is a great question. That last part. Because I look up at the structure and the framework and you're thinking, man, they could put some seats up there. That is a I really want to know the answer to that last part. That's from Greg. Greg, thank you. We'll get that to Sarah later on in this hour. I want to go back to uh, TJ. Mike stepped out of the room. I was reading this Wilner article about all things uh, Pac-12, of course. And the one thing that kind of jumped out at me that I wanted to look at was horrible officiating. (laughs) I don't Mm -hmm. remember when it broke. Was it middle of last week or last week when we still had a chance to discuss it? That video that was circulating about a high school referee moving the ball up with his hand. He, oh, yeah. He not only did that, TJ, but if you really look at it, he uses his left hand. This is on the far sideline from where the camera work is being done. He uses his left hand to kind of pull the chain back. After the chain has been stretched, it's short by about a, a, a half a yard easy. He reaches at the last second, pulls the thing closer a little bit, and then shoves the, the ball up with his right hand and says, first down. And it was a high school game somewhere. Um, I read about that part. But mm-hmm. I was going to ask ask you as mike comes in too has there been any been any conversation about that on on uh the internet about oh yeah that was uh, ed smith and the horizon league of uh, mississippi <laughs> and he got fired anything follow-up to that story because a lot of times you see stuff like that and you don't ever get to hear the follow-up but a lot of times there are there is because people all over the you know the country will see that and say oh yeah here's what happened with that
4: I haven't
6: seen any follow-up per se. I just sort of see this running joke every Sunday, kind of in relation to it, because I think you could also put out another article on Pac-12 officiating. I didn't get to watch the game on Thursday, Utah and Washington State, yeah. but I believe there was another officiating fiasco in that game. Uh, we were on the air with high school football during that, so I did not get to uh, to see what happened there, and then there was the whole camerizing incident, et cetera, et cetera, but that, that doesn't relate. Yeah. But, you know, kind of relating to that, John. I, I, we see this joke sort of float around every weekend that football, college football, in the NFL, is just this multi-billion-dollar industry that's, you know, pro- among the most popular sports leagues in the entire world, and they have all this advanced technology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right, right. and they still measure first downs with us two sticks and <laughs> a chain.
1: I, I, Mike, what do you think about that? I, I you could put a chip <laughs> in a ball. I know you could, yeah, yeah. but. Are we ever going to get to that point? (laughs) Uh, You know, I I wondered about that because... uh, Was that
0: the game that uh, that had the the quick review or whatever Roxy and the people were talking about and what's going on was that the Utah well I, I
1: the one thing I Washington know and, and TJ game? I don't know what you what you read about but the Utah at the beginning of the game was Cam Rising came out and looked like yeah. he was going to play and didn't oh yeah and Petros and Fox that was upset thing. about hey <laughs> hey hey I started watching it but kind of in the background while working in my office and and thought, wait, now, wait a sec. I look up because I'm on the ground moving stuff around the floor, and I look up and go, wait, that's not Kept rising. here in Barnes, Barnes, Barnes and it was the first drive. <laughs> right. And I heard Petra say, well, <laughs> not a lot on this
0: guy. We expected,
1: <laughs> and that was a, a big to-do about, and a good question posed. I don't remember if it was uh, – Canzano or yeah, John or wrote Mick a whole
0: column about saying
1: it. saying how much do the teams owe the leagues when it right. comes to uh-huh. that kind of thing. Yeah.
6: And I think Dickert guys came out after the game and said he would fully be in favor of both teams submitting active rosters ninety minutes before kickoff a hey. lineup card. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. It I, I, wouldn't
6: be the worst thing in the world, no. and you know. You know, the gambling industry would like that as well.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right, because you, in your fantasy league, played Cam Rising, and he was. <laughs> I did, yes, I did, I had no
6: idea. I was looking at my phone, I'm like, wow, Utah's not really scoring a lot. That's kind of strange. Well, maybe Cam scored a rushing touchdown or two, and uh-huh. open up my phone, and I see a nice zero next to his name. I'm like,
0: huh. Yeah, I wouldn't be happy with that. Thanks, TJ. I still won. <laughs> we head into the second hour from the Jack and Jenny Wilborn Media Room. Jonathan Smith at approximately 1230 today. Our podcast this week will be with Sean Harrison, who will join us here in the Jack and Jenny Wilborn Media Room. Practice has taken place. It's begun to rain a little bit here, drizzling, starting to morph into a rain, as mm-hmm. I discovered going outside a few minutes ago. Nothing wrong with that either. The Beavers, number 24 in the country. That's cool. Yeah, that's you very You remember, cool. it's the first time they've been ranked since 2013, and it didn't last long. And let's hope this ranking lasts longer, meaning that they win in Seattle yeah. on uh, Friday night. They're not favored to. No. And Washington's going to be... It's amazing what Kalen DeBoer has developed there on offense, and they may be getting some reinforcements back on defense. And they do sack the quarterback; they have twenty-five sacks, second to USC in the league, which has twenty-six. The Dogs have twenty-five, and they've got they've got some really good edge rushers. Really good. We'll hear Jonathan talk about that. But the secondary, they may have a little bit of help coming back. Uh, Michelle uh, Mychel Powell is expected. Uh, To start at cornerback for them. That's going to help shore up some issues in the secondary. They have been thrown against even Cal. Even Cal. Even Cal. uh, Which Dan Raley said Cal, comma, which showed no plan or any plan, hint of a plan whatsoever in the first half against Washington, comma, (laughs) came to life in the second and did score uh, three touchdowns in the second half in Berkeley two weeks ago, Washington's last game, and through it pretty well and effectively now against the run washington's only given up 110 yards a game and the beavers average about 194 a game i mean you know this is an interesting matchup in that michael Wannick,
1: washington state had those same numbers
0: michael Penix jr is the best looking quarterback i've seen in the league this year in terms of the beauty of, of the throws that he makes. Okay. The, the, it's the feet that hurt you, though. Well, the feet hurt. And the but, Beavers have dealt with that no, already. No, it, but it, this guy, to me, is the best pure passer I've seen in the league this year. Now, I know DTR is getting a lot of love yeah, in that respect in yeah. his high percentage, but the types of throws that Penix Jr. makes, the accuracy with which he makes these amazing throws— And the ability, when when he needs to, to keep the play alive. He can do that. But it's the arm, John. It's a beautiful-looking arm. The Beaver defense is good on the back end, and they've improved at the other levels, too, and I think up front enough to – but they only have 12 sacks, the Beavers do, 25 for Washington.
1: If Oregon State plays like they play at home, I expect a Beaver win. Yeah. If they don't, then it could be ugly. But I f- expect a Beaver win. I think the Beavers are better. And, and I the way they play at home is the potential. They play to their potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's no fault for them not to play as well on the road. Everybody in the league this year, I almost want to say you get six points by playing at home
0: across the board in the league this year. And that, I think, the four, I think you're probably right. If, indeed, Washington is, what, lane four? Four and a half. Four and a half. It might be just the opposite. Yeah. If the game were, oh yeah, 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 no, you may be right about
1: yeah, that. Yeah, and I and there's no reason to believe that they can't play uh, that well on mm-hmm. the road mm-hmm. in Seattle. Um, there's happened, just no reason for it. Speaking
0: them. of officiating, what did we? What gate did we have the last time the Beavers played in Seattle? You remember what that what. I don't know if anybody else called it, but I called yeah,
1: it. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, placement gate. Spot down, gate. Spot gate at the, at the goal line yeah. on several touchdowns.
0: In which Petros, calling the game. Yeah. Well, that'll be a first down. The Beavers yeah. will get a fresh set of downs. Yeah, it was A ridiculous. couple of different times. It was ridiculous. No, that's one of the most egregious things I've ever seen, with, with the spotting of the football right. in that game right. two years ago in Seattle.
1: Right, and Wilner's got you know a whole section of a, of a hotline dealing with uh, horrible – uh, issues and and management stuff, not just calls like flags on PIs and stuff like mm. that, but clock issues and down issues. Like in the Oregon Washington State game, they missed a complete right. down. Right. These are the things I don't I don't get upset about referee's missed calls in action. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I'm mean, sure how no, do they even I'll, see that. Yeah, right, okay, so right. they get that wrong. Whatever. It's happening in a half second. It's other issues like placing a ball mm-hmm. and moving it back like we always see them do. Yeah. Um and then this this referee and if you if you put in YouTube search for no, cheating it. referees, there are so many. Yeah. There are so many. The one you're talking
0: about the other day was comical.
1: And it was comical. It was funny because you know how When sports spills into non sports friends and family, Mm -hmm. that
0: happened this weekend.
1: (laughs) There was a did you see from non sports
0: -sports people? People. Yeah, because that particular video (laughs) went viral.
1: There's no way that guy kept his job. There's no way. Granted, it was only high school, (laughs) but uh, well. You never know. But but no, I yeah, it was, it was Spotgate up in Seattle, and let's just hope that yes, you get the fairest of shots mm-hmm. when you go to Seattle. I, there's something special. I was kind of talking about this this morning, and I, I know you feel it too. The, it's, it's fun, these four games, or these three games, to play Oregon, Washington, Washington State. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just yeah. think it's yeah. different. It, among the four of us in this corner of the world, it's special, and it goes back you know, obviously
0: decades,
1: with great stories
0: yes. for all of them. Yes, and in that sense, a c- utterly different feel than when the Beavers last took the field against the outfit from Colorado. The <laughs> Dow Ward relationship yeah. notwithstanding, right. and some good, memorable games yeah, th- in what, a short three, sample size.
1: Four, that was their fourth, fourth visit? Fourth
0: trip, yes. And the Beavers and Huskies have been playing one another since 1897. Yeah,
1: not not too many stories built up for four trips <laughs> for Colorado. I love Colorado. Greece, no, I Great place, great everything. Yeah, Keep know. them in the league, and let's build that up. But surprised that there
0: haven't been more. It's a, it, it's a huge challenge with Michael Penix, Jr. and a core of receivers, really good receivers. Yeah. I mean – so the Beaver offense is going to have to, to function at a very high level to win this game because Washington, even with the improvement and the, the tangible manifest improvement of the Beavers' defense. Now, I remember that was the same type of uh, talk when Caleb Williams and USC came, that USC had scored on every one of their first drives. Right. Washington, until their last game against Cal, had scored. They're 6-2, and two, the dogs are. 6-2. Yeah, and two. Same,
1: it's Identical records. The first Oregon seven
0: State. games, their first drive of the game, touchdowns against all seven, and they settled for a field goal against Cal. Okay. So they scored in every possession, and that was USC early in the year when they came. had scored, and they were a 3-and-out to open the game. So we'll keep an eye on that.
1: Except <laughs> it was home.
0: It was at home. I That's wish true. this
1: was at home. I wish this game were at home. Yeah, more than it anything. certainly helped
0: last year. Now, the Beavers broke a nine game losing streak last year against Washington in one of the more remarkable wins in the Jonathan Smith era. In my view, in that, you know how many total yards of offense the Beavers had against Washington last year? 392, about a hundred less than that. Really? 290, 290 yards of total offense and the Beavers won. They Washington got a, a short-field touchdown. I think Chance got a little loosey-goosey with the ball, and Washington <coughs> recovers in a play later. I mean, the Beavers had led the game 17-10. Uh, to 10. Washington went on a long drive to tie it. Beavers get the ball back, turn it over early. Washington yeah. recovers on the five yeah, and yeah. scores go score, up 24-17. And this is where I give the Beavers tremendous credit for after that. You know, Washington was celebrating on the sidelines. They look like USC 2013, dancing around and celebrating. Chance and the Beavers, Chance had a rough night. (laughs) I I would say that's an understatement. He threw for 48 yards. 48 yards in last year's game. That's it, 48. But he threw for most of those on the last drive. Mm. You know, eight I mean, he had nothing going on, but he hits Anthony Gould on a kind of a a, a deep crossing route. Gould goes for 22. Gould on a fly sweep. I mm-hmm. mean, the Beavers suddenly get down and tie the game at 24. Then the defense steps up. They get a short field. Everett Hayes kicks the walk-off field goal. 27-24 on the last play of the game. That's how the Beavers won last year. In the in the midst of getting bowl eligible and having a winning season, yeah, you have to have Great some nights win. like that and wins where you're not. You're not really playing your best, and they weren't. 48 yards passing for Chance in that game, well, and the Beavers win. But he hit some big passes when he needed to. The
1: ground game is going to be huge. Yeah. Play calling is going to be huge, and how to mix it up, yep. and and uh, and and get you know
0: utilize Vellin over the middle more. All of that stuff that we left with a good taste in our mouth yeah. two weeks ago. Jonathan will be arriving shortly for uh, the Monday presser in the Jack and Jenny Wilborn Media Room. We'll learn some things, we hope, you know, how much disclosure there will be. I don't know if it will be the full Kyle Whittingham treatment. Uh, We'll wait and see with respect to how uh, John will uh, answer the inevitable questions about who's available, who isn't, you know, what, what the plan is going into the week, whatever that may be. I have a feeling that uh, the staff will probably, even if they know right now, and they may not, but if they know right now, it may be information they sit on. And nobody in writing up the Kyle Whittingham and Utah-Washington State story was faulting Kyle and the Utes for that. They just felt, like Petro said to the SID, 90 minutes or whatever before kick, anything else I should know, anything we should know for a purpose of a national telecast, and the Utah people said, nope, you're good, we're good, (laughs) when they probably knew all along that rising wasn't going to start. Now, that's the type of thing that you hope in the— the building of relationships and the building of trust and trying to help people do their job and convey storylines to a national audience that they could be a little bit. Yeah. And I know, I mean, I know that within our own world in that respect, there is some information shared, not all of it, but some that helps people do their jobs with the full understanding that, uh, that certain information will be, uh, well, think uh, about Embargo. It. Yeah,
1: yeah. You're in the truck. They're they're not going to tell anybody. They're not yeah. coming out of there, and they have to build their slates and their yeah, right.
0: their fonts and all yep. all the thing like that. So, I don't it, you know I don't know how much we're going to learn today. You know, in terms of uh, people recovering during the bye week from injuries and people being one one person in particular that everyone's going to be interested in. How right. chance right. coming out of concussion protocol maybe? It to me, well, that's an important question, and I get the importance of it. It also, it's not the most important question because no matter whom takes the reps and the starts, yes. and the Beavers have a great chance to win this football I game. I think so. And, and, and uh, to, we have today and tomorrow to find
1: out. That's it. Because they're going to group yeah. offense and defense tomorrow after practice. Right. And because of the fact that there was enough experience for Ben. Yes. It takes a little bit of the heat off, the, well, the, the panic or the...
0: he's Ben is 3-0 and
1: as a starter. Emergency mode from
0: knowing that. If it ends up being him, okay. The, the next trivia question is, Ben is 3-0 and as a starter. Who was the last quarterback to be 3-0 and as a starter? And I've answered it, but I'm asking you again. 3-0, and winning his, not only of his career, not a season, but winning the first three starts of his career. In our time together, only one other quarterback can that be said of.
1: Derek Anderson.
0: Yes, two thousand and two. Yeah,
1: absolute. That's a long time yeah,
0: ago. twenty years ago, Derek won his first four starts. No other Oregon State quarterback that's a good stat. has done that. So you know what? Who, who was we, Matt Moore? Yeah, you can't come on. <laughs> <laughs> there was a 63-27 game at Louisville early in Matt's run. Oh, I see. Ovi, I see, yeah. Where was... the Beavers led 10 to nothing. I remember, yeah. hey, there's Papa John, nothing too. There's Rick Patino down there waving to the crowd. We're up 10-nothing. Final score was 63-27. <laughs> <laughs> one of those. One How of, does that happen? Well, it, hap- it happened. Come on. And it happened, and that was the famous game, though, where Mike goes to Coach Banker and says, put someone else in at corner. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anyone else, yes, you do, and they the, the, the rest is history Brandon Hughes, Keenan Lewis they they took their lumps, but they became NFL corners That's right. and they were thrown under the fire there in Louisville at Mike Riley's behest. Let's break and come back with Jonathan Smith, Mike Parker with John Warren and T.J Matthewson thanks for joining us on twelve forty Joe Radio. <laughs> Welcome back into the Jack and Ginny Wilborn Media Room and the Joe Beaver Show. Thank you for joining us today. I'm going to ask you a number, and just you were right on Derek, so you're on a roll here now. (laughs) I read this morning in The Athletic the comparison of numbers for eyeballs, viewership of the World Series. Mm -hmm. When the Phillies played the Kansas City Royals, And won the World Series in 1980. Tug McGraw. (laughs) Yes, that's true. The late Tug McGraw. What was the number of viewers that watched that World Series, the average number watching the six games in 1980? 4.7 million. (laughs) Well, you're even low on the basis of uh, the current standards. They hope to get that this year. No, I'm going to just tell you, 42 million people. In, in 80. 1980, 42 million. Okay, what will this year? The number they're hoping to get this year.
1: 21,
0: 12 to 13, 12 to 13 million. That's kind of what they're, they're talking about.
1: Down from 42. 42
0: and 80, 42, and just the steady decline is what I'm getting at here. But in 1980, 42 million people watched the World Series between the Phillies. In Kansas well, City, well, there's one
1: answer for that. Go <clears throat>
0: well. I mean, it's it's
1: oversimplified, but back then it was a national sport. Now it's not; it's regional. Okay, but
0: then the answer is, how did it get that way?
1: Uh, that's pretty simple, <laughs> too. The rise of all the channels and all the different sports, getting bigger platforms. Okay. College football wasn't. Was mm-hmm. not as highlighted in 1980 as it is yeah, now.
0: I don't know though. I mean, it was, but it was huge. But, but there's only three channels. Well, I know. In that, okay, I hear what you're saying. That's right. That does that does go a long way in explaining it as part of the explanation. Yes. But it's just too from much. From 42, it is. There's too many things to watch. And, and that's also, but 42 million yeah. to 12 million is a pretty big jump in our lifetime.
1: Well, okay. Pretty so big decline. I'm getting the stink eye here. Look, you you on a, on tonight. Tonight you got Halloween, you got right. kids ringing the doorbell every yeah. 5 seconds. Yeah. You've got the World Series. We
0: didn't have Halloween in 1980. You're no, right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got the World <laughs> Series and you got Monday night football
0: going on. And we have Not to mention the number of NBA games that are on all the different that's channels. That's a very good point. The most important thing we have going on right now is Jonathan Smith arriving in the Jack and Jenny Wilborn media room Monday afternoon. 1231 and Jonathan will share his thoughts in the weekly presser. We look forward to uh, hearing from the coach after our hiatus last week and this week's presser on 1240 Joe Radio.
7: Okay, good to go. Um, so coming off the bye week, we practiced this morning. Uh, all, all eyes on you, Dub. We actually got some work done last week on Wednesday and yesterday. And so I think we uh, you guys took advantage of it. A couple of days off, body uh, healing up eight straight games. and So I think the bye came at a good time. Uh, I think it's even playing field. They're scheduled the same way and so um, I'm excited to get back to work. Got a big time challenge in front of us on the road. Uh, you know, a team that knows how to win, knows how to score. Um, it's going to be highly, highly uh, competitive on that side of things with their offense. Um, defensively, they can affect the quarterback. Guys on the edge are really good, maybe as good as we've seen all year and so we'll have a Challenge offensively and the hostile environment. Great place to play a football game. Fan base into it. Crowd noise. So, uh, looking forward to Friday night.
3: The uh, first national ranking in, in nine years. I know it doesn't help you win a game or lose a game or really anything else. But what? What? I guess what does it mean to the team?
7: You know, I think. Um, it's a little bit like preseason rankings, not in midseason rankings. We're not, we're not into and pay a bunch of attention to. I will say, though, I think it's a recognition of the work these guys have put in and the progress we're making, uh, but we're definitely in the postseason rankings.
3: Uh, where, where do things stand with Chance?
7: Actually, limited practice today. Um, still limited, didn't do the whole thing, and so we'll see how he kind of responds and works through the week.
3: Is it, is it likely that Ben would start Saturday or I mean, Friday we, just because of
7: – Where it's at today, yeah, it would be it'd be Ben, but we'll see how he kind of responds and works through it.
3: Outside of Lowe and Musgrave, is there anyone else that's not going to play Friday?
7: Marco Brewer won't play again. Uh, injury that, you know, it's going to take at least a couple of months to get back from, so you won't see uh, Marco. You won't see Alton Julian this year either. Uh, if – kind of wasn't recovering the way we wanted, took another direction, so he will not play this year.
3: Washington's passing game, probably the best you, you, you've you seen all year. What's unique about what they do?
7: Yeah, uh, starts with quarterback, how accurate he is. I do think they do a great job in pass protection. This guy's allowed to, to get back there and, and stretch the field. They got really good receiver play. Uh, the schematics of it—they'll—they'll uh, they'll throw it underneath. Take shots down the field. They get unique formations on balance. Put everybody into the boundary. Um, so it's all of it: quarterback protection, big-time receivers, and a great scheme.
6: Back to the ranking thing. How far do you feel like that goes? As far as you, you know, when you're recruiting, being able to sell the success and say, "Here's a tangible thing you
2: can
7: point to." Yeah, I think this week you we can talk about it to recruits because um, we all know it can change in a, in a week. But uh, definitely helps that people taking taking notice of it in recruiting.
6: And you mentioned the the atmosphere, the game day environment up in Washington. Obviously, you've had a couple of years of experience up there. How much of a home field advantage is that? Just with how loud that place gets, um, you know, just the overall environment yep, there. Yeah,
7: it's an advantage. Uh, the atmosphere, energy, crowd noise. Um, just off the tape, watching them this year, they play confident at home. Play really good at home. Uh, and so it's been an advantage. During this uh, week off, I'm looking back at the the first eight games. Did anything on the tape jump out at you that um, from the team from this first stretch of the season? Yeah, we did look at a lot of it, um, and so we, all three phases. Had some wrinkles, some things that they identified we got to do better, slash things that we actually did better than we, we kind of thought. Um, I don't think we're far away in the past game to be more explosive. We've taken some shots, and and we got a ways to, to tighten that up. Things have been effective. I think defensively, you know, you can start to see trends on how people want to attack us and things, and so having some answers there. Um, so we got a lot out of self, self-scouting us. During the bye week, you said you, two practices? Is what, What's the goal during the, the bye week? What, what, do you, what do you work on? Yeah, well, again, off of that self-scout studying, so cleaning some things up in practice that we noticed over the first eight games. Did use a, a portion of those practices to get ready for UW.
1: Do you feel like – you don't want to say anything bad about the you know, guys that you're about to face when it comes to quarterbacks, but do you feel like you've kind of gone through the gauntlet of quarterbacks that have great feet and escapability? And does Penix offer up some of that?
7: Well, he offers up an accurate and a great thrower of the football. I mean, this guy can change his arm angle. I mean, he has just accurate. It's tight windows, likes to throw it, um, and he wants to throw it first. Um, plenty of ability to extend. A lot of quarterbacks have that, but this guy is a great thrower of the football.
3: This this series always seems like one of the teams isn't quite in in sync. This is kind of the highest profile game since the two thousand game. Do you recall going into that game? Was was there much hype at all? Because I mean, at the time, you guys were both I think both nationally ranked and. Oh, and do, you, do you remember? Do you remember being a you know a game that you really were a little maybe more a little more amped up for? Or?
7: You know, I don't remember a bunch. I felt like it still was the front half of the season. I think we were coming off beating SC at home or something. You're talking 2000? Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember it was a close game throughout. A lot of offense going on, um, but don't don't remember a bunch of hype on. <laughs> yeah, that was
3: game or, five of the season. Yeah. Um, I forgot, that's the kicking situation. Where, where's Everett at? Everett
7: practiced today. Um, kind of let those guys see how the week goes and, and make a call. Obviously, we're hoping Everett can respond to the day of work and how sore he is the next day type thing. He's working through it. The guy's a tough kid, uh, but we got confidence in Atticus too.
3: Is this the deepest into a season you can remember when you've really had to start preparing for a, a wet game? Because you, you haven't had one yet. And, and no question. Saturday, Friday, probably – got a good chance to be yep, one of those. It is. I mean,
7: the weather around here has been great. I don't think it's rained for like a two-month stretch, maybe even longer than that. We were talking that leading into the Colorado game, chance of rain in that game. We hadn't practiced in it. Uh, so it's good. We were out there even today, got a little bit of sprinkle and uh, counting on it being a little wet Friday.
0: Coach, on defense for Washington, what have you seen? I mean, they have 25 sacks and about five or six different guys with multiple sacks. What What is it that they've, they've done that, that creates those kind of numbers?
7: Yeah, I think it starts with their edge players. Um, eight, three, 58, uh, those guys are tough to block one on one. Aggressive style of play, so they got some really good players on the edge that, uh, that create some issues. And uh, they're not shy. If they want to pressure, they'll pressure. If they feel like they can get pressure on the quarterback just for, with four guys, which they've proven to do. Because uh, so, that stat does jump off when you look at these guys.
0: And the running, they only give up 110 yards a game. No factor you know I know sacks are factored into that but they've been pretty good against the run though
7: yep yep physical up front big bodies um, you know with their offense some of these games you know less rushing attempts have taken place cuz they they can score in bunches
6: with the weather probably being a bad uh, probably going to be raining as well as a hostile environment. Do you practice? Do you like pump in crowd noise, um, you know, nonverbal cues, anything like that this week? Yeah, we've
7: been working with the, the crowd noise up at, at practice. A uh, couple different snap counts to deal with that. It's nice that it got a little wet today to deal with that. The other piece that comes in that stadium is the wind it can change on you. It can get a little windy, and so you got to be prepared for all of it.
3: A couple of line questions. Um, offensive line – Jake Levin, good. He's he's replaced Nate from last year. Nate was obviously two-time All Pac-12 guy. How do you, he? It feels like he's quietly had a good year because we. Haven't heard a lot about him, but it just mm-hmm. seems like he's had a good year. What, what have you seen?
7: Yeah, been really solid. Uh, you know, at center, it starts a lot with communication, getting everyone on the same page. Uh, Levin Good is athletic, our style, you know, getting him outside and wide zone and, and doing that. Um, kind of a leader, influencer on this team, that group, led by him, really Kipper. Um, so, no, he's he's been really good this year.
3: And then the defensive line, you know, over the your over the tenure, they've taken a lot of hits, but again, that's another group that seems to quietly be having a good year collectively. Is there one guy or two guys that really right. really? I mean, we know about Sandberg, but is there a guy or two that really have, have improved a lot and really made that line, put it together? Yeah,
7: Simon has been. Steady, Eddie. You know, not getting all the, but in the right spot, pushing the pocket. Uh, I think they're playing with some confidence, trying to you know get up the field. Sione's done some really good things for us. Has been playing a little inside the last couple of weeks and outside, and You know, Hodge coming back and being around it. James Rawls has done some really good things, Um, been in the backfield. He's probably been the most productive for that group. And you're right, uh, because this defense has been playing at a high level. We're going to need to on Friday. A lot of attention in the secondary, which is well-deserved, but the front's been doing their part. good? Thanks.
0: Jonathan Smith wrapping up uh, his weekly press availability here in the Jack and Jenny Wilborn media room. When we come back, we'll have a conversation with Sarah Elcano. Uh, session with Sarah for a few minutes. Remember tonight, 5.30 to 6.30, and Sarah can bring us up to date if there's any details or new on that, but 5.30 to 6.30 at Gill Coliseum. The uh, was presented by Safeway, trick-or-treat with uh, Oregon State student-athletes across the uh, board in the OSU athletics world. This is an event that's uh, been uh, brought back after uh, the hiatus due to COVID. And I know the student-athletes and the guests we've had on talking about it, uh, Maya Johnson, Dr. Howard Croom, put a lot of time and effort, as have the student-athletes, into it. So that may be a great place for your kids. If I don't know what your world and your neighborhood is like in your neighborhood for trick-or-treating, but this is a very uh, dry, safe uh, environment that your kids will have a lot of fun in, 5.30 to 6.30 at Gill Coliseum tonight. We'll take a break, come back with Sarah Elcano, a session with Sarah coming up, see if she has answers to all of the questions, which are many that we have, but one Which is Chief, which will pose to her next on 1240 Joe Radio.
3: This is the Joe Beaver Show with Mike Parker and John, who always have the best interview. Here's how John would describe their last guest.
0: They came in, had fun, and left.
3: Now it's back to Mike and John on the Joe Beaver Show.
0: Great to have you with us on this Monday afternoon, a little bit uh, wet outside, uh, which is surprising. The memorable line delivered by Al Pacino, that uh, he has to repeat in the, the wonderful heartwarming film *Glengarry Glen Ross*, when he <laughs> says, "Wet out there tonight, Jack Lemmon?" Huh? You know, I mean, a typical David Mamet-written dialogue, huh? <laughs> and he, "Wet out there tonight," says Pacino. What out there today, John?" Huh? "Wet out there today." We're joined by Sarah Elcano, senior associate athletic director for external operations, at Oregon State. In a brief session with Sarah, and she also serves on Scott Barnes's executive team. And she's also kind enough to, uh, you just talked to Scott. And an answer given that I think satisfies Sarah, uh, Sean Shepley's here, all of us that we've been sort of questing after do we have definitive closure in your view based on what you just heard? John said, Scott said, Sarah. When Scott
8: says it, it's <laughs> the final word.
0: That's right. <laughs> Namely, that.
8: Yes, if you win the conference, right, and you're not selected into the playoffs, you are in the Rose Bowl.
0: Unless the Rose Bowl is the host of a Correct. semifinal, wherever this year that they are not. Right, okay. yeah. Where, wherever that game is played after that, I don't okay. know. Okay, I feel better now. Not yeah. that, you know, somebody was saying earlier, you're putting the cart before the horse with thinking that. Now, the Beavers, Let's in fairness, yeah. mathematically still, I mean, a lot of things need to fall in place, and the Beavers need to win four straight, and a couple of things fall in place. So that is still in play. But as I, John and I kind of came to, Sarah, and thank you for that clarification, this season has a chance to be, uh, you know, even if you don't end up in Vegas for the title game, a very special, uh, exciting season with a great destination at the end.
8: We're both eligible, so right. there's, there's a destination somewhere. Yeah, I think it's a tough November, right? When you looked at the schedule, it's just kind of like, oof, that's a crazy preseason schedule and then you look at it's backloaded. Mm-hmm. um so we'll see how november plays out but it's exciting to be talking about yeah. these as all opportunities still all mathematically possible
0: absolutely yeah. i think
1: it's fun too because you've had to deal with you know the all of this external stuff of the stadium being built while you're hosting all these games and just sitting there the other night i was just thinking it, it's just worked perfectly it really has uh, everybody on one side seems like it's louder than anything and uh, everything is clean and shut down. It just kind of wor- has worked out. Knock on, knock on wood.
8: It has worked out, you know. And it's it's good momentum heading into 23 when we'll open the full west side and and have the 360 concourse. You you really couldn't write it any better. Yeah. And I've lived through ups and downs here, right? So this <laughs> is I like the timing of of riding this high.
0: Sarah, depending on how the November plays out, and it is a tough November. Beginning Friday night, then home to Cal, then down to Tempe, then finishing with Oregon. Whatever, whatever happens over the next four games and where the Beavers are at the end of that, in terms of the Bulls slotting, is there still an element in the world where you state your case? Since since we read this famous line about the Alamo and the Holiday and the Rose have a certain amount of latitude, the Rose we've kind of dealt with, the Vegas Bull, Holiday, and et cetera. So in your world, yeah. do you have to kind of have material together in case there's a chance that you could get to a bowl that maybe you've never been to that you'd like to go to?
8: I think you're always ready. You know, I think that's more so Scott, having those conversations, if any, occur. But, you know, if it's a bowl that Oregon State's never been to or hasn't been to in quite a while, um, it's the anticipation for how many tickets do you think you're going to sell? How are your fans going to travel to this, this destination? And then, I don't know. You know, you hear things about that impacts decisions that may or may not be accurate. But, you know, I think we'll hoping to travel well this year with the excitement around this team.
1: Yeah. Uh, are we done with the world of, of the sport coats and and then lobbying or does that still go on because of the fact that they can they can choose and bypass someone.
8: One person's perspective that seems to be less of an activation that occurs yeah. than it used to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I f- it's figured. Much, Sarah,
0: coming off the we didn't have a chance, we were out last week, so no session with Sarah last Monday. We appreciate you coming back. We took a hit on the ratings, by the
8: way. <laughs> I figured.
0: Anything coming off the not quite like a major league baseball hit losing 30 million viewers True. over the last 42 True. years. But anyway, if you have an opinion on that or a thought on that, feel free here in a moment, but anything coming out of the Colorado game uh, from a operation standpoint that you could share with us.
8: You know, I think just excitement and momentum really we saw we had some standing room only tickets some club seats available those numbers for cal i should say those numbers have moved quite a bit I, last time i checked we had 10 club seats left wow, 10 good. Um, for cal those have probably gone today and then a handful of sros so once we get through those um, hoping to announce another sellout here and yeah at this point in the season little tweaks in game but this is what you hope nothing huge to clean up at this point
1: where is standing room only the terrace. Got it. There's two questions here okay. that I have. Yeah. This one's a lo- little lengthy, so <laughs> here it is. Um, first off, I think that our player entrance, this is from Greg, I, I don't know who that is, I think that our player entrance before the game lacks buildup and excitement this year. It would be nice to see an intro video and song that really hypes up our players and fans, like that of Enter Sandman at Virginia Tech or In the Air Tonight at Penn State. Uh, there's another part to the question that is completely different, and I love the question, so I'll stop there. Any, uh, any thoughts on that?
8: Video. Every year, this is a topic, the intro video. Um, I like the song this year, right? I, I, the, the goal this year was kind of a, this is the state coming together, right? There, there's almost, there's really is, it's two videos. It's an intro video to the intro video uh-huh. um, aimed at, at building momentum. I think, in particular, that moment is the one moment I really feel like we miss having fans all the way around the stadium. Mm -hmm. It it does feel like that's not complete, and I, the one thing we've missed this year, the OSU's around the bowl, right? So normally, you know, it starts on the east side, the O, the end zones go S, the west side goes U, Mm. and that, you know, intro team runs out, we play the fight song, coin toss, and we go to those OSUs, and so that I think is a piece that no one has necessarily talked about, but that's a tradition that I hope comes back next year. Um, just kind of fell apart this year without the West side. But yeah, that video, I think, you know, the other aspect of it, we activated the smoke. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We mm-hmm. dialed back the smoke this last game. Um, fans seem to like that we dialed it back, but maybe missing that one piece there. And I, you don't want to force anything, right? I don't think a motorcycle fits here. You know, you don't right. really want a tractor. Um, maybe some pyro. There's some yeah. things we're looking at for, for next year that, yeah. you know, the song choice is always, it's bounced back and forth. The video department football program has a say in that. And we'll keep working on the song choice. But there's some other things around the video, I think, that can help build the actual energy the video yields.
1: I, th- I think that the, you, you help with the answer that, yeah, we're always thinking, we're always looking, and it's not set in our, we're not setting our ways and saying, nope, this is what we're doing, too bad. Um, Greg also asked, and I love this question, is there going to be seating on top of that building that's next to the scoreboard?
8: As of right now, no. So that's the that's the wellness building. And, you know, it's a medical space. And so trying to figure out how to do something inside what is a medical space that I believe will be open on game days, Um, maybe not during the game, but open on game days for students, any students at Oregon State. So You know, in the future down the road, is there potential there to do something? Maybe, but right out of the gates, no.
1: And Dave, finally, our last question. Dave from Tumwater says, what's up with the fences around trees on campus? In the case of the forestry lot, the fencing has ruined one of the best tailgate venues in college football.
8: I believe that fencing is all tied to the Washington Way project. So they're redoing, relocating and widening Washington Way. And as part of that, I am not a construction expert, but you always put the fencing around the tents, and I, I think that's a regulation in order to protect protect the trees, shrubbery that are there. So I know there's a lot of it that has popped up, but it's the length of Washington Way. A mm.
0: couple of questions from last week that came in on the Joe Beaver Show. Plans on the old scoreboard usage, but you believe that the old scoreboard is no more.
8: It um, Rest in peace, yes. Okay. It had passed its lifespan a as you all saw. So we took it apart piece by piece, recycled everything we could, and then what was left over went, went to a landfill.
0: Okay. Scrap uh, heap. There was also a question <laughs> or a thought about, is there any thought about in the, in the new configuration of the stadium, some sort of scoreboard on top of uh, the Valley Football Center? Oh,
1: yeah. yeah a lot of people were complaining about not being able to see the scoreboard for a couple of reasons. Line the of ribbon sight. board coming down and line of sight... And then also just being behind it or next to it and not being able to see. So maybe another scoreboard on the other side of the stadium.
8: That's a dream. I think <laughs> you know, next year, who knows yeah, what's possible, yeah. right? Every time you say completing research does mm-hmm. make me laugh a little. It's never <laughs> going to be complete. It's a football stadium. But I you'll have 360 ribbon boards, right? First yeah. time ever as a new ribbon goes up on the west side. And then our large video board, we will make one change, probably not until next year, where when we go full screen on replays or really big moments right now, we take away the down and distance, Mm -hmm. the score. Um, I think we're going to find a way to have that still there, but not taking up a quarter of the video board, but somehow still present there, even though you could look to the ribbons to see that. um, I know there's a lot of folks that just look to the main board.
1: Actually, though, did we... Does it go uh, does it go away on the ribbons too? Currently. Yes. We will yes. change that yeah, yeah, just yeah. for you guys. Thank you. No, Did you I hear the show? No. <laughs> no. <It's, laughs> we uh, uh,
2: Well, I mean, yeah, what's
0: the time distance the end, and at score? At the end of a big play or whatever, there are times, you know, you're calling the play, Jim's talking, you're looking looking at other things, getting ready to promote another upcoming session with Sarah, and you look up and the video board's gone. <laughs> and yeah. You you don't see what, you know, where exactly the down and distance after that play was. I mean, so So that little tweak, Sarah, we great. I
1: did discover though that the permanent game clock is above the play clock.
0: Okay, we're going to bring Bill on. He can. We'll just relay the question. Bill has one for you before we let you go here at the. It's about five minutes to one. I know you have another meeting, and our show is about to end. Bill, what do you got? Go ahead, Bill. It's probably before your time, but
5: fifty years ago. On the west side, at halftime, these club members used to go up on the where the press box was and they'd have uh, food and drinks up there. Mm-hmm. And they quit it on food because it was so crowded. to wasn't a big area to go and have all the fans that went up there. Now that have got the Toyota to- room for fan enhancement. They'd be gone, have uh, food and drinks at halftime for... People
0: that go and donate like the president club or yeah. Well, where
5: well, have they gone,
0: Bill? We're going to we're running out of time, and I'm not sure yeah, I fully understand. Yeah, I, half-time. something about wondering about uh, a Toyota room that currently exists in for back. He said 50 years ago, season ticket holders, donors at halftime would have a place to go and have refreshments because they were donors. You know, a designated place in the stadium. I guess that in his mind that's different than the premium seating and, the, and all of the new amenities it'll be on this side i guess he's wondering if there's going to be something else in addition to that I'd
8: no i mean the two indoor access spaces would continue to be current toyota club right so toyota club seat holders have access to that indoor space i guess there's multiple suites are obviously suites loge level has access to their inside space and then on the new west side the premium level so you have Club, North Club, South Club, Living Room, Loge, and Founders Club, and they all have access. There's two indoor spaces there for the folks on Mm -hmm. that level.
0: Okay, so I think, Bill, the answer is no, there there aren't plans for something like that that apparently was in place, just sort of a general, hey, let's wander over at halftime because we're donors and we show our donor card and we get into it. I think everything is pretty well segmented off by what level you're in in terms of lowest club, founders club, etc.
8: Tied to your right. seat location. Right. Yep. Gotcha.
0: Sarah, thank you so much. 42 million to 12 million. That's a 30 million dollar, uh, 30 million viewership on the World Series lost over the last 40 years. Explain.
8: I do have thoughts. Okay. Baseball. This is a hot take. Mike's yeah. going to get upset. It's all right. Not the national pastime anymore. No, I. I- uh, I've so known that
0: for a couple n- of weeks. Number
8: number goes down, <laughs> right? And then options are good. I I mean, right? Phillies get up, Phillies get down. You flip the channel, you go <laughs> check out an NFL game or <laughs> a quarterback you may or may not recognize. You flip the channel back. Yeah. I think it's the best time of the year.
0: Best time to be a sports fan, and even best time of the year. So There's baseball has n- just kind of found its its niche in the sporting marketplace.
8: I think it's found its niche, yeah. and, and it's twelve right. million. The piece that uh, makes me question it is the NBA. Every year I'm caught by surprise. I did not know it was NBA opening day until I saw it on okay. Twitter. They, okay. It feels like they start earlier, baseball yeah. goes later. College football chugs along, yeah. taking all the viewers.
0: Sarah's Thank you right. for the time, Sarah. Great to see you. I know you have a 1 o'clock, so you're going to have to run through the rain to get there. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. i going to wrap it up for today. Tomorrow we'll be hearing from, uh, we hope to get the audio gathered by TJ from the coordinators and players. It's a big tomorrow. We'll have all of it for you as the Joe Beaver show goes along. And we have quest out to Washington people, Elise Woodward, Cam Cleland. We expect to hear from them. Thanks to all of you for uh, joining today. Our thanks to Sarah and to Jay from the San Francisco Chronicle. We'll see you tomorrow on 1240 Joe Radio.